The scripture reading today is from the Gospel of John. You can find it printed on page 10 of your worship folder. A reading from John chapter 4. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, Jesus is making and baptizing more disciples than John, although it was not Jesus himself but his disciples who baptized, he left Judea and started back to Galilee. But he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming back here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. And now a reading from John chapter 15. Jesus said, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are called my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because a servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, so that the father will give you whatever you ask him in my name. I am giving you these commands so that you may love one another. The word of the Lord. Take a moment now for silent reflection.
great and loving God, as we come before your word this morning, we thank you that you are a God of mercy who delivers us out of our darkest valleys. And we also thank you that you are a faithful friend who meets us in those valleys. We ask that you would help us to believe this, to see this, to, um, to experience this truth this morning. And we thank you that in Jesus, you are our long-suffering friend who does not walk away when things get hard. And that this is the good news for us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by sharing with you a, um, a source of spiritual wisdom that I have discovered recently, and that is um, food shows on TV. <laughs> and one of my favorites recently um, has been um, a number of different shows by uh, David Chang, who is a... Um, he is the, the founder of the Momofuku Restaurant Group, an author and TV personality, according to, this is according to Wikipedia. And, um, and he does uh, some really fascinating shows, and I think his most recent series is called Breakfast, Lunch, and Dinner. And this is a, um, a series in which he takes a famous person on vacation to exotic destinations, and just explores, uh, eats yummy food, and um, learns about life along, uh, along the way. Uh, they go to destinations like Marrakesh, Morocco, and Phnom Penh, Cambodia. And in one episode with Lena Waithe, he goes to Los Angeles. Um, and it's kind of a weird choice, especially for those of us in the Bay Area who um, have certain attitudes towards uh, the city down south. It might seem like a weird place to visit, especially for a show where you're trying to expose people to places that are different, to faraway places, to places that might jolt you out of your comfort zone and to expose you to something new. Now, this gets weirder, though, because um, he, you know, the first part of the show is Lena, Lena Waithe taking him to uh, places that, uh, that she likes around the city, and in the second part, it's his turn to show her his L.A. And the place that he chooses, I kid you not, is Gardena. Now, Gardena is, if you're not familiar with Los Angeles County, Gardena is a nondescript place nestled between the 405 and the 105 freeways. I grew up in L.A. I have never been to Gardena. I have often passed through or driven around Gardena. I have made fun of Gardena, but I have never been there. And so imagine my surprise when he goes to Gardena. And they do things like, um, he says, I want to take you to this amazing restaurant. My sous chef is from Gardena. And he says that this is his favorite restaurant in the country. And it's a, it's a restaurant in a bowling alley. And so they go there, and, uh, but it's, it turns out to be this amazing place, uh, kind of an eclectic menu with uh, chili cheese fries and egg foo young and just things that you would oxtail soup and kimchi fried rice, just things that you wouldn't expect, but they have this amazing meal. And I love, and, and they explore other parts of Gardena. And, and here's the spiritual wisdom, okay? I love what he says. At the end of their time, I think it's in that particular restaurant, he says, 
can food be good in a bowling alley? If you ask most people that question, he says, they're going to be like, no. No. And then he says, I feel like we've got to recalibrate how we judge things. And then here's my, here's my opening point, okay? Samaria is like Gardena. It's, it's this nondescript place that most people in that time, if you were not from Samaria, it's a place that most people would walk through or, or travel around, would make fun of. It's not a place that you wanted to go and visit. It would not be on your top five list of places to go and to enjoy. But we're told in this text that we heard this morning that Jesus had to go through Samaria. He didn't really, most readers of this text would know, he didn't really have to. But Jesus did. He not only went through Samaria, but he goes to Samaria. And he has this conversation with a woman, and that's the conversation that I want to focus on with you for just a few moments this morning. And it's a conversation that is so rich with spiritual insight and so much for us to learn in that conversation. Um, But it all happens because Jesus chooses to go to a place where most people wouldn't. And Jesus chooses to enter into a conversation with a person that most people, at least that kind of fit his profile, would not have tried to have a conversation with. And there's a movement over the course of this passage that we read that I want you to observe and that I want to uh, try to help us to move through and experience. And it's a movement from a clash of personalities. That's kind of the first part of this conversation. There's a, a clash of personalities, and we'll get into this. But there's a movement from that point A to point B in the text in the conversation where there's a, a meeting of minds and hearts. Okay? A meeting of hearts and minds. And it's the conversation, it's the conversation in Samaria uh, that facilitates this movement. And over the course of this movement, I want, want to just call your attention to observe and to think, to reflect on how it is that this movement occurs. Because if you reflect on that, on the reason behind the movement, I think we'll have a, um, a better sense of the, the lesson that the gospel writer John wants us to get. And at the beginning of this reflection, I just want to share with you that what we learn over the course of this text is that Jesus is our long-suffering friend who does not walk away when things get hard. And this is the good news that we're going to see in this text. So first, a clash of personalities. This is one of the things that you have to understand about this text. It is one of the longest conversations that, um, that we get of Jesus. And that's significant because Jesus has lots of conversations throughout the Gospels. But in this particular conversation, there are 13 exchanges back and forth that Jesus has with this woman. And it's a conversation that does not begin well. Did you notice it? Sometimes it's hard for us to to really get the the texture of these conversations because especially if you grew up in church, uh, these textures are are kind of glossed over because these stories are overly familiar. 
And if you didn't grow up in the church, you're actually at an advantage for hearing some of the nuances and some of the, the details that are really important for us to get. Because if we pay attention, over the course of this conversation, you have this woman who is talking with Jesus, and most readers of the Gospel of John would be reading this text because they believe Jesus to be the Lord, the Lord over the universe, to be the Son of God, to be God, to be God. And so here's Jesus, God in human form, having a conversation with this woman who is kind of an outcast, who, 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 is not, who does not hold the respect of the, of the readers of this story. And here she is rebuking him, lecturing him, debating with him. Actually having the audacity to enter into a theological conversation and maybe even debate with him. Um, and it's not pretty. Sparks fly, especially in the first part of this conversation. The woman challenges Jesus. And so I would just call your attention to verse 9 where she says, How is it that you, a Jew, speak to me? I mean, another translation might go something like, How dare you talk to me? Who do you think you are? In verse 11, when he has just told her about uh, living water, she says, You have no bucket. In fact, you're the one who asked me for water. What are you talking about? Are you out of your mind? In verse 12, she asks, Are you greater than our, uh, our ancestor Jacob? And New Testament scholars would say of this question that it's kind of a rhetorical question that expect the, expects the answer no. And so she's sort of trying to to put him in his place. Here is this Samaritan woman trying to put Jesus in his place. There's a clash of personalities. And while it may be shocking on the one hand, on the other hand, I think this is, it's, it's such a natural thing, don't you think? I mean, when Jesus, who is God, comes into the world and ha- begins to have conversations, you might think like, most of the conversations that he would have, because when, when conversations go well, it's when people have shared interests, have a, a very similar worldview. And can you imagine talking with someone more different from you than Jesus? Of course there's going to be a clash of personalities. Of course there's not always going to be a, a meeting of the minds, and that's exactly what happens in this text it, it sort of reminds me of uh, the, the kinds of conversations that I'm experiencing these days with my sons. Because I'm just realizing, you know, especially if we've got two in middle school now, and I'm just realizing that like, the conversations are not, are not the most free-flowing. <laughs> okay? And uh, we're getting into a, a stage of parenting now where, let me just share with you two recent developments. One is that when we play games, it actually happens now that I oftentimes lose. And the second development is that um, our boys have, uh, have begun to sort of learn and practice the art of trash talking. <laughs> and, and sometimes it's not just trash talking, but like talking back. And, and one of the things that's so presented a kind of parental milestone or, or crisis, if you will, and one of the lessons that I'm learning is that I can't simply like squash it. I can't simply nip it in the bud. I, I, I actually have to enter more deeply into the conversation to listen, to understand, even to encourage 
you know, some of the wit and the humor without the meanness. And trying to navigate that is really hard. Now, I don't mean that comparison to be demeaning to the Samaritan woman, but I think there's something similar going on here where Jesus is sitting with this person who is talking back to him, and he doesn't say, how dare you? He doesn't say, don't you know who I am? He doesn't rebuke her back, but he leans into the conversation, and he perseveres with her. He listens to her. He allows, and maybe allow is too strong of a word, because I think she would have taken that moment anyway. She would have seized that opportunity anyway. But he allows her to have her say. In other words, what Jesus is doing is Jesus is entering the conversation on her terms, and he is treating her as a woman of dignity, as a woman deserving of honor, as a person who is worthy of having a conversation with and a back and forth with. Jesus honors her, treats her with dignity, engages in the conversation. That's why there's this clash of personalities, because Jesus is willing to be there for it. In fact, and maybe this is one of the key insights that I want you to take away from this time, Jesus doesn't treat her the way that so many biblical scholars and commentators have treated her. Jesus doesn't take scant details about her life and extrapolate those details into the most shady and negative version of her life story. Jesus treats her with dignity, with honor. You know, we take little details like the fact that she was out drawing water at noon, and we say all kinds of things like she was an outcast, that she was this horrible person, that she didn't have any friends. But all it says there is that she was drawing water at noon. And if you look at some of the persons of colors, uh, uh, commentators and scholars who have wrestled with this text, or, um, or female scholars who have wrestled with this text, they'll say things like, what's really happening here is this amazing contrast between Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in chapter, in chapter 3 and the conversation with the woman at the well in chapter 4. Chapter 3, Nicodemus, it's a conversation that happens in the cover of night because Nicodemus is too scared to come to Jesus in broad daylight. And here's this woman having a conversation with Jesus, the bright day of the noonday sun, and the bright light of the noonday sun. It's a conversation in chapter 3 where Nicodemus is utterly confused, even though he comes saying, we know that you are a teacher. So he knows Jesus at the beginning of the conversation, is utterly confused by the end. And here is a woman who does not know Jesus, does not recognize her, knows nothing about him, and by the end says, here is a person who has told me everything about my life. So amazing things happen over, this, over the course of this conversation. What about those five husbands that we're told about? We take that to mean that she was sexually loose. When it's actually evidence of this person being stuck in a system that too often prioritized men and abused women. What we know, there's not a lot that we know, but what we know for certain is that these five marriages were made necessary for her by a social, economic, spiritual, and political system that privileged men and commodified women. We, that we do know for sure. And her current arrangement is evidence of her actually moving towards health. 
her moving towards survival. We don't have to, the time to get into all of this, but that much is certain. And the contrast is of a man in chapter 3 who comes with intellectual questions and walks away utterly confused. And here's a woman who comes with the deepest spiritual longings of her life. And she walks away utterly met by the very Messiah. And so we, let's move on to that second point then. There is not just a clash of personalities, but there is a meeting of hearts and minds. The conversation takes a dramatic turn. And the conversation takes a dramatic turn because Jesus is a long-suffering friend who does not walk away when the conversation gets heated. He does not walk away when things get hard. And this is the good news for us in this text. There's a meeting of hearts and minds. The conversation takes a turn because over the course of the, t- of the conversation, what we see happening is that the woman actually begins to open up. She says things like, sir, give me this water. She says things like, I have no husband. And that's significant because now there's all kind, kinds of inferences we can take away from that. But what we do know for certain is that when she says, sir, I have no husband, she is opening her life to Jesus. She is giving him a detail about herself, a biographical detail that she is under no obligation to offer. She's opening up. She's willing to share some of the details of her life, some of the private and personal details of her life. She says in verse 15, I know that Messiah is coming. And when the Messiah comes, he will answer everything. There is a softening in her tone and a vulnerability in her words. Um, And what Jesus does is he listens to her and he hears the deepest longings, the deepest desires of her heart. Um, How many of you have ever um, felt a craving for a certain food I'm going to name called corn posies? Anyone? Like you, you walk, you um, go to a new town, get off the airplane, and you open up your phone, and you say, I want to find a restaurant with good corn posies. Anyone ever in your life? No, probably not, right? Because why? Because corn posies don't exist. I just made that word up. <laughs> What's the point of that illustration? It's that, well, we only long for things that we know to be true, right? We, we, long, for, we long for things like justice, We long for things like love. Dare I say it, we long for God deep within our spirits because we know that such a being must exist. And what Jesus does in this conversation is he meets that longing and he honors her longing. Andrew Sullivan uh, this is in the mid-90s. He, he writes a story of um, talking with a, a man who had AIDS. And he was, you know, when, when, especially in, the, in those times, with, when you had AIDS, you, you were under threat of just common illnesses taking your life or radically disrupting your life. And here was a man sitting in a New York apartment with like 30 pills on his counter. And one of the treatments he had to face, he's telling him his life story. And he says, you know, recently I was um, under danger of losing my eyesight. And the treatment I had to undergo was an injection of liquid into my eyeball. 
And Andrew Sullivan just loses all sense of journalistic objectivity and says, how could you go through that? And, you know, because what happens is you have this needle coming towards your eye. And as it gets closer and closer and closer, you can't close your eyes. You have to actually see it coming and penetrating your, your eye. I don't know about you, but I've never seen the point of a needle pierce the flesh of my skin. My policy is always to look away. <laughs> I can't imagine that. And this, pe- this person says, well, I really wanted to see And it's that kind of longing in this woman's voice or in this woman's life that Jesus hears and honors by revealing himself. And this is the last thing I'll say as we wrap up, is that Jesus reveals himself in a way that he does not anywhere else in the Gospels. There are other parts of the Gospels where people are saying, if you're the Messiah, just tell us. There are religious leaders and political leaders who say, I I order you to tell me under oath. Are you the Messiah? And Jesus often says things like, you say that I am. Or he says, if I told you, you wouldn't believe. Or he says things like, my time has not yet come. But to this woman, Jesus says, I, the one you have been talking with, I am the Messiah. When she says, when the Messiah comes, he will answer everything. So as we wrap up, let, let, let's return to our opening question. What facilitates this movement from a clash of personalities to a meeting of hearts and minds? Well, it is Jesus. It is Jesus who is our long-suffering friend, who does not turn away when things get hard. And this is the good news. This is the good news of a God who comes to us in Jesus, desiring friendship Friendship with us. This is a God who comes in human form in Jesus, and he says to these disciples who don't get it, and by the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus is calling his disciples friends. This is Jesus. So dear friends, um, hear this good news this morning. As you think about, as we go through the series on a friendship with God, what it means to be in friendship with God, here is a God who is willing to listen To us, when we are shaking our fists at him, when our our picture of what our life should be and what it seems like God's picture of what our life should be, when there's a clash and there's tension and there's doubt and there's a crisis of faith, Jesus is our long-suffering friend who does not turn away when things get hard, but he points us to friendship with God. And this is the good news. Let us pray. O gracious and loving God, we thank you that you desire friendship with us in the same way that you sent your son Jesus seeking and desiring and entering into really hard conversations and really difficult friendships. And we ask that you would open our hearts to you Help us to hear you and to see you as our friend. We thank you for this good news this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.